When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Fly? We got a watch, read, listen. I'm so excited about this. I think we missed one in August. I think we did too, even though we were probably watching, reading, and listening to things. I love this time of year because now my children are back in school. It is starting to get dark a little bit earlier, and so... I'm just getting some of my own time back. You know, I love summer, but it's like the days never end in Minnesota. They go on for so long. And so like by the time I get the kids to bed, I'm toast. So Jay and I have been talking about like shows that we want to start to watch. I think I have some good ones this month. So I'm excited about it. Fantastic. Mine are a little bit violent. So I don't know what that says about me, but I'm going to start with watch. Have you, there are six or seven seasons of this series called Justified. Have you heard of this? No. On Hulu? Yeah. I'd never heard of it either. Who's in it? Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Do you even know who he is? No, I don't. I didn't either. It's about a Southern U.S. Marshal. And the first season was great. We're in season three or season four now, and it's pretty violent. So I give it with that caveat that there's a lot of like, whoops, that guy just got shot in the head. Whoops, that guy just got shot in the chest. I mean, it's it's relentless. But the first season was one of the best first seasons of any show I've ever seen. I just really, really enjoyed it. And now I'm in it because I like the character. Uh, Season three, as it always seems to happen, was not great. It's always, it's almost like they like let the writers take a break and like they bring in some other writers and then the writers come back. So it wasn't, season three wasn't great, but overall, I think this one is one worth testing and I think Jay would really enjoy it. So what are you watching? Okay. So we just watched, I'm on my own with the kids uh, for a few days while my husband is on a trip. And so we, um, I love like a Saturday afternoon the kids played outside all morning. We were, they were running around and then we just had some time to just like hang out and watch a show. And then we went outside after that and it was so fun, but we were watching this, um, series and we got through a couple of episodes of, um, it's called animals up close with Bertie Gregory on Disney plus. And Bertie Gregory is like this explorer slash, um, nature photographer And he goes out to these amazing extreme environments to capture um, just incredible images of animals hunting. And what's so cool about it, what was so interesting to me about it is that 
as a person who, um, you know, loves TV and works in TV, you really get the cool behind the scenes because he's the drone pilot too. So he pilots the drone that goes over all of these and like is following these animals in their hunting grounds. Um, and like one is on orca whales, there's one on sea lions, there's one on, um, African dogs. Uh, They're just beautifully shot Marjorie. Like you would absolutely love it. But he talks, what's cool about it is a lot of times when you like watch these nature documentaries, you don't really see what the crew is going through. I mean, you don't at all see what the crew is going through to capture these images or how they're kind of managing, trying not to interact with the animals while they're also trying to get close to them and observe them. And they really do a beautiful job kind of breaking the fourth wall with this show. My kids were totally into it. I was totally into it. And I am looking forward to watching more and seeing more of what he's done. He's super talented. That's great. Okay, so I'm reading for one of my classes. I'm taking a class on censorship, which is really, really interesting. But for the class, we had to read a book called All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Have you heard anything about this book? No, I don't know anything about it. Is it new or what? No, it's been out for a couple of years, I think since 2020, but it's the second most banned book of 2022. Um, It's for probably... I would say eighth grade through high school, maybe even seventh grade through high school or so YA literature. It's been banned because there's a scene that's written pretty honestly um, about molestation where he gets molested. And then Mm -hmm. there are some graphic scenes about what it means to have sex when you're having sex with another man. Yeah. Which doesn't get a lot of, there hasn't been a lot written, I think, in YA literature about that, although I've read a couple of things that have. Uh, I only bring all of that up because it's been a really interesting discussion. And as I've been through the teenage years with my kids, and I remember trying to censor what they could read, and that doesn't go well. It really doesn't, because they'll just find it and read it anyway. And when I was growing up, my dad wouldn't let me read. I'd wanted to read Catcher on the Rye. And my dad said I couldn't read it until I was in fifth grade. And I was so mad. I was so mad. And so it's just interesting to read some of the contemporary literature that is getting banned. You know, it's being banned from libraries. It's being banned from classroom lists. And I just felt like, you know, parents, I just think that on a book like this, like there would have been no question I would have let my children read this. No question. I was like a reading fiend when I was a young person and my parents have taught, I've told this story before, but that my parents would censor like everything in my life. Like we couldn't listen to Madonna. We couldn't watch MTV, all these different things, but books, they never censored. Right. Oh, I had tons of stuff that was censored, but books were never. So I was reading Stephen King and like Danielle Steele. I mean, I, I, at like 12, like, and, and Danielle Steele, because my mom would read them. And then my mom was like, they were fine. Cause she thought they were like the least trashy of the romance novels or something. Right, I don't right. know. But still, when I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's some of that stuff is like pretty graphic yeah. for like a young person to be reading. And then obviously how does that form your views on relationships, but whatever that's neither here nor there. What I think is this separation is that none of that was marketed as young adult. Like I, I would say that if it's like a super graphic sex scene, 
I would say that just should not be labeled young adult. That doesn't mean that you don't, you either read it or don't. It, well, it's like, that's up to the individual, but it's like the same thing as labeling like a Stephen King horror book as young adult. It shouldn't be. That is well, an adult book, but then whether or not you read it as a young adult is up to your discretion. I have to be careful in how I label that. I'm going to look it up right now. It I'm says, it's, I look, I'm looking it up on it's, Goodreads. It says it's a young adult nonfiction memoir okay. manifesto. Okay, Good. Then like, I, why is it labeled young adult? I find it so interesting. I feel like we might might be able to um, remove a controversy if it was just a, a memoir book. manifesto. It's a right. book. Right. But I think, I mean, and this is where it gets so complicated. I think that works to the, and this is always this, this, what's weird to me about when moms groups or church groups sort of rise up and try and ban certain things or governments try and ban certain things, it just means it's going to turn into a bestseller. So it always has the opposite effect. I think many times it has the opposite effect of what the people who are trying to ban something, it has the opposite effect. And more people read it because it's on so many reading lists now because it's yeah. banned. Right. So it's just counterintuitive. But I think because we are talking family to family on Best to the Nest, I think that I know a lot of parents are probably more with kids in high school are more aware of this controversy than you would be. And what I would say is, I mean, obviously every family has to make their own decision, mm -hmm. but as a parent, if this is on your child's reading list or there's some discussion about it, or they bring it home, it'll take you about two hours to read, just read it and know that it'd probably be a good thing to have discussions on both of those topics whether it's whatever kind of sex somebody's having never a bad idea to have a talk to your kids about the first time and to have a conversation about molestation which is in the book I think that's a pretty valuable conversation as well yeah so you can use books like this to guide you and and people get really upside down in this and I just think and I get it because I remember getting really upside down I was trying to remember the book that my younger son and I rarely fought growing up when he was growing up. I mean, I could probably name on one hand at the time. Of, and and our, our conflict would be basically at this level. You know, no, I don't think you should do that. Well, I don't know why I can't do that. <laughs> I just don't want you to do that. Okay. <laughs> That's conflict. But the book he wanted to read was American Psycho. Oh, yeah. And I just, I, I hated the movie. I, did, I had never read the book. Um, I didn't even understand that it was social commentary. Yeah. I just, I saw the movie first and I just didn't do, and this is on me. I didn't do any research about the book. And then I also didn't read the book. Yeah. And when I, I was just so tired. It's like, oh, I, I know, I know. And they push you, they, they find your buttons and they push them. I get it. And so I was actually talking to him about three or four months ago, we were talking about, cause I knew I was going to take this class on censorship. And I said, did that work when I said to you, don't read it? He's like, no, I read it anyway. He's right. Like, of course you did. I right. mean, what what is my expectation that I'm going to be able to keep a 17-year-old from reading a book that's in every library in the United States? Right. <laughs> so, no, there's just no way. No. But reading so, it alongside would be interesting. Yeah, my parents did not care when I was reading Carrie or John, anything written by John Saul. Oh, at wow. Like 11 and 12. I mean, they yeah. were just like... It was very fascinating. You know, there's contradictions with everything when you look back oh. at your childhood. It's a fascinating thing.
Big time. They and just I were don't know so how... like obsessed with me being a reader. Like my dad like holds reading above all other right. skills, hobbies, anything. He right. is like nothing. I mean, beats reading. Like it's like the Holy Spirit and reading. This is it. And so it was like, read whatever you want, whatever. <laughs> I love that. The Holy Spirit and Daniel Steele. <laughs> I don't I don't know how you slept. I don't know how you slept reading I didn't. Stephen King. I didn't. I was 11. up late at night. And I told Stephen King this very story when I met oh, him. And that. he was he was quite entertained and bemused by the whole situation. And I it was that. really love lovely. Very few people um, would say, and I told Stephen King this. I, know. I told <laughs> I him that when that. I saw him. I did tell him that when I met him. Um, and just, right, a that's heads up, just a heads up real quickly. Uh, Band Book Week is October 1st through the 7th. That's going to be really interesting if you're paying attention to that whole discussion right now. It's going to be very feisty this year. And then I just want to say thank you to Kelly Smith, our guest from two or three weeks ago. I did receive in the mail her book, Meditation for the Modern Family, and I've started reading that, and I love it. Oh, I, I love it. So thank you, I know. Kelly. I got it. It's just so wonderful. Like yes. just little bite-sized things that you can just kind of think about and incorporate into your daily life. It's great. Um, okay. Do you want to get back to my nature theme here for a second? Yes, please. Um, okay. So I am reading a book uh, that has been on my list for a while and I finally picked it up at a local bookstore and now I started it and it's called Braiding Sweetgrass. And um, before my nanny left, she had been walking into my bedroom to get something for one of the boys. And she, um, and then I came home and she was like, oh my gosh, I saw that you have braiding sweetgrass on your nightstand. It's so amazing. It's like the most amazing book. So I'm not um, finished with it. I'm just getting into it, but it was written in 2013. It's nonfiction. And it was written by um, a professor named Robin Wall Kimmerer. And um, she is of the Potawatomi tribe, and she talks in this book about the role of indigenous knowledge as sort of an alternative or way ways that you can weave indigenous knowledge into um, Western mainstream science, basically. Oh, I so love that. it's really interesting. So she, so you know, I'm like so into plants, and this summer, I planted um, a bunch of different medicinal plants. I told you about this. I went to this really cool farm in Amory, Wisconsin and bought a bunch of um, tinctures from the farm. It's called Red Clover Farm if you're interested in it. And then she and then she was also selling plants. So I bought things like, you know, Lendula and Tulsi and all this stuff. Now the barrier here is that I have I purchased these plants. I planted them. They're growing beautifully. I have no idea what to do with them after that, Marjorie. So I am not there yet. Okay. But what it has done is made me really want to research more. I know I only have so much time. And braiding sweetgrass uh, talks a lot about botany and then the relationship to land in Native American tradition. And so, you know, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about Native American people and, um, and what we all lost with the terrible and abhorrent treatment of the native people and what we what we could have our ancestors could have approached things so differently you know i mean mm -hmm. there's many many things but what we all lost was a deep connection to the land and i think that is such a tragedy that has impacted all of us i mean particularly the native people but i think it's something that we've all really 
seen as, um, as a devastation, because when you lose a connection to the land, you lose a connection to yourself, you lose a connection to your higher power, all of these things. And so, um, I'm finding this book to be just lovely. It's a series of essays. It's in five sections and it's sort of like a history book, but also, um, an education on ceremony and, um, and helps, I think it's helping me even more so to look at the natural world with so much wonder, and then also to see myself as part of it instead of separate from it, which is totally counter to what we have been taught in American culture. Right. I love I mean, that. I love yeah, that. I'll have to so, pick that up. I know. I think that you'll probably like it. I am, um, I again, too. just into it, but I'm, I'm liking it so far. That's wonderful. Okay. So listening, I'm going to cheat a little bit here because my listen is I'm going to listen to. That's fair. Because I watched on Amazon Prime, Smartless on the Road. Oh, yeah. The podcast with Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, and Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. And I, if you have, have you watched this yet on Amazon Prime? No, I haven't watched it, but I've been listening to some of the episodes that they did on the road. And I okay. just, I love that podcast too. I have to kind of like, I'll binge a few episodes and then I have to take a break, but that's, that's normal. Now, why a break? Um, I think because I get sort of sick of hearing from like A-list people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's why. I mean, I just am. That's okay. And I'm not, I, and they like talk about the craft of acting and like directing and stuff. And I'm just not interested enough in that to care okay. about it for so, so many episodes in a row. Well, the, the Smartless on the Road documentary, which is on Amazon Prime, makes me want to listen to the Smartless podcast but so this is kind of like a future listen, but a right now watch. If you are just having any stress in your life right now, or you just need sort of something to wash over you, it is so fun to watch three guys on the road that are clearly really good, good friends mm-hmm. and their relationship with one another. It's less about the actual recording of the podcast and it's more about watching them be stupid on the road. It's just fun. It's just pure fun. I have le- I left harder during that documentary series than I have laughed probably in years. Oh, that's so good. It feels just good to pure laugh. laughter, pure laughter. So that's so it makes me want to listen to Smartless, and I'll listen to it now with you in mind. But the all I can say is the documentary on Amazon Prime is just fun. It's just super. Fun. I love listening to smartless on planes because it just kind of makes me laugh and chuckle right um so but you know i think it's like i i'm not a big believer in binging things either marjorie like you and i are different in this way like you are like yes i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna watch it 24 hours in a row and get it done and i'm like binging ruins things for me then i can't remember what happened i start to like it less i start to just like wish that it was done even though i don't really want it to be done like Binging is not good for me. So it's not good for me when it comes to like chocolate or chips or TV shows. It's just like, it's probably not good for anybody, but that's beside the point. I know. So I, so I don't mean to discount that I, cause I do really like it. I just like to listen to it and like, I listen to it and then I don't for a while. And then I appreciate it more. You know, it's like seasons guys. I don't know. I just, I, for me, it's probably like a weird when I binge, I really go to that place. I remember when I binged Mad Men. Yeah. I was pulling out all my vintage dresses and wearing them. I mean, Listen, I was like transporting myself. Do you so, remember the first thing you ever binge watched? Because I do. What is the first thing you binge watched? The first thing I ever binge watched was The Sopranos. 
my friend Patrick from college had the entire Sopranos DVD series. So right. in college, Tanya and I were in our room. Um, we were living, to, we were rooming together in our sorority house. And we had a really great room because we had a room that was meant for three people, but it was only for us for oh, two people. We had, you were one of those. Sweet. I don't know Lucky. how this ended up, but it was awesome. And so we had a great room. And so we had like room to hang out. And we watched 10 episodes <gasps> of The Sopranos in a row one day on yep. like a Saturday. Yep. And because in college, like you can do whatever you want. And it, this was like, you couldn't binge anything. I mean, there were no streaming services back then. There wasn't even Netflix. Like you couldn't yeah. order a DVD. It was like, yeah. so the fact that Patrick owned all of these DVDs, because apparently he had extra storage space and disposable income that none of us had. So we borrowed them all. And I remember walking out, we were so hungry. Finally, like we just kept watching it. We weren't even like eating anything. I don't even think we were drinking. I don't know what was happening. We decided we needed to go get a burrito. And so we left our sorority house and started walking down the street and we were both shocked that more people, now this sounds terrible because I was on a college campus, but just go back with me 25 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. We were shocked that there wasn't violence in the streets and right. like people shooting each other right. in the streets right. because we'd watched so much Sopranos that it completely See? like tainted our view of the world. And so when we got back out into the world, it was not matching what our brains had been told the world was for 10 hours prior. And I remember thinking this cannot be healthy to watch this. I'm telling episodes. you, that's exactly it. That's exactly why I like to binge. It alters your brain. It a hundred percent alters your brain. Know, and that's why I, I binge. I tend to binge happier things and yeah. not, not because Sopranos, no wonder you don't binge because you, it, you know, but the only time I can really feel like I can, I can understand exactly what you're talking about is after watching the movie Blue Velvet. Yeah. And I came out yeah. of the theater and I was like, the world's way creepier than I thought it was. See? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The Interesting. first thing you binge watched for me, it was The Sopranos. I, back in I the honestly day. think the first thing that I binge watched was Mad Men. Probably. Yeah. That's about Probably, the time. That was a unique right. situation for, with that, yeah. with that Sopranos deal. Yeah. Let me go back to my nature talk. Okay. I'm done yes. with that stuff. Um, so I have one more. This is uh, what I listen to. And this is a podcast. I've been really into listening to um, episodes of this podcast. It's called the life stylist and it's with Luke story. Luke story is a former stylist, which is kind of interesting, like in LA. And now he's sort of turned biohacker wellness enthusiast. Hmm. And I really like, I like his podcast. His podcasts are long and they are interesting. He has really cool entrepreneurs on who are um, talking about all sorts of things. He, I really liked the one I listened to with the founder of the sauna company that I have, which is called Sunlighten is the company. And I had never heard like her perspective on starting the company and what her motivation was for starting the company. And then a lot of the cool research on how beneficial sauna or sauna, if you're finished, uh, that use is. And so I really love that one. But this one that I'm talking about that I just finished, he's Luke's story is like a water freak. He's obsessed with water. And he is always talking about 
the ways to get the best water and hmm. filtration and structuring of water and and all of what water does. And um, his guest on this latest episode, it, well, it's it's not the latest one. It's just a, an episode that he did. But the latest one that I listened to, her name is Veda Austin. And I have listened to another podcast with her before, too. But this one was much more in depth. Veda Austin is a water researcher out of New Zealand. And she's so fascinating, Marjorie, because she's also an artist and she photographs water in what she calls a state of creation. Hmm. And so it's the state between liquid and ice. And she says that water is at that point responsive to consciousness. So she has all of these images of things that like she has presented to water and then as it freezes the water creates that image in its ice crystals and she okay. photographs it are you following me i know this is going to sound like no, wild no i love this i love this this is so cool it's so interesting so she talks about this because there's so many cultures and um and religions that really that believe that water is life you know i mean water mm. is life i don't really know what else to tell you without water we die the reason right. why we have life here is because we have water right i mean that's like when we're looking at other planets we're looking for water as the potential for life and and um but she takes it even further and and really looks at water as what water wants what water desires what water can tell you and how important water is. It is fascinating. I mean, I finished listening to this particular conversation between Veda Austin and Luke's story, and you can watch it because he records video of his podcast too. And, and then you can also listen to it. And I just cannot stop thinking about it. And I think I need to listen to it again because the way she speaks about water is so beautiful. And it's this is going to sound kind of crazy too but when you listen to it you'll understand the way she talks about water is so inspiring in terms of wanting to be a more present person in mm. the world it's incredible mm. she's amazing you're going to be obsessed you're going to go down a water hole <laughs> it's amazing it's very very good what a great month though really we are all over we're all over the place if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.